Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, those are so good. Such precious, precious couples. And I love how there's so, the, the theme just seems to run throughout each one of these videos we see of service, giving to one another, love. I mean, those are just, those are just fantastic, fantastic things we should all apply to our marriage and, and beautiful, godly couples. And, and I hope you guys, these, these are all couples in our church. They're in different services, so you may not know them, but they're all couples in our church. And Betty and RT have been here since the beginning. Charter members, so, so. Wow, so much to learn from those precious people. Okay, let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to gather together as a body of Christ, uh, just to trust you, to learn from you, uh, to hear your word. And Father, I pray right now that as we uh, are just confronted with the truth of your word, that if we recognize areas in our lives that need to change, I pray you'd give us the strength, Father, to change our hearts and to change our minds and to change our actions to conform more and more to your truth. Father, open the eyes of our hearts. Father, help us to see our blind spots. Help us to see areas that we need to change to draw closer to you. And then I pray as we study this morning, as we examine your truth, I pray, Father, that through the power of the Spirit, we could take that truth, apply it to our lives, and be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So take your Bibles and open to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. We are continuing our study that we've called Passionate Pursuit, a study of love, romance, and passion through the Song of Songs. And we've been talking about these ideas of passion and romance and love and sexuality over the course of the last few weeks. And I've said to you at the beginning of every sermon, all of these things are God's idea. God created them for our enjoyment. He created them for our pleasure. And so what we need to begin to understand is if God created them, then God has a plan for them, and God speaks about those things in his word. And so just a a word of caution here. If you are learning about marriage and love and passion and romance from the things of the world or through popular songs or movies, you're probably a little confused about what real love and romance looks like. Did you know that? If you've based your understanding of a a relationship and maybe a marriage on a movie you saw, chances are you're confused. And so what I want to do is take a look at what God's Word says. And and I'll just say to you, these are not topics we should shy away from. And and we're going to delve into some good stuff this morning. Uh, We don't need to shy away from this. We need to be careful in the way we phrase it and tasteful and understand their little ears. And I'm going to do the best I can to make sure that that's okay this morning. But we don't need to shy away from these things because God has got a plan for us in our marriage. And passion and intimacy is part of that plan. And so we're going to jump in this morning and try to understand what God is showing us and how we can apply that to our lives. Just a quick review from last week. We kind of talked through this idea of the celebration and the beauty of marriage. And we said that a lot of people celebrate their wedding. And so we kind of looked at what a wedding looks like in different parts of the world and some funny stats about weddings here. And we said a lot of people kind of see their wedding as the beginning, and it is. And for far too many couples, the wedding day is the most exciting day of their marriage. 
And what happens with their level of excitement is it kind of trails off as the marriage goes. And so what you see is these couples that the most exciting day they experience together is their wedding, but they don't ever sense that sort of excitement in their marriage again. So I just challenge you that you should celebrate the beauty of marriage, not just the wedding. You should see the good in your marriage and celebrate that on a regular basis. And then we ended last week by talking about celebrating the beauty of physical intimacy. We said this couple that has been separated, they haven't been together yet, they haven't been married until last week. And then we kind of got to the, to the wedding day and the wedding procession. And then we kind of started last week with the, the, the wedding night after the marriage has taken place. And everything about what we're going to look at this morning is the wedding night. So it's really good. There's a lot of really good things in here. And I hope that as we study through this, you'll understand, first of all, the, the biblical truth because there's, this, there's kind of a process this couple goes through and four things that they do that I think you can apply to your marriage to make it better, especially in the area of physical intimacy. But as we think through this, I want you to understand kind of the process they walk through and what God has done in their lives. And I want you to begin to kind of formulate and figure out within your marriage how can you take now what we're going to learn in the text this morning and apply it to your life and to your marriage so things can be better? Because for, for a lot of people, they just don't know if marriage can ever really be a good thing. They, they just don't know in their marriage if they can ever be happy again. I have couples that tell me, I'm just not sure we can make this work. And I would say to you that the, the truth of God's word is not only can you make this work... But you can make it work in such a way that you experience this joy. You experience this intimacy that God designed for you to experience. But I think you're only going to understand that if you understand the truth of God's word and apply it to your life. So the wedding night, beginning in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to walk verse by verse through this. Look at the steps that this couple takes together. Verse 8, the man speaking to the woman. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. Verse 9. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Here's truth number one. We're going to walk through this and kind of explain as we go. But truth number one, this couple has an anticipation of love. There is great anticipation of love with this couple. Now remember, this is a poem. If you haven't been with us up to this point, these words are probably confusing to you. You're wondering about Lebanon and Amana and summits and lions and leopards and what does this have to do with a marriage? Well, this is a poem we're reading here. And so what we've kind of understood as we walk through this is that we're not interested in the minutia and the small details. We're interested in the big picture. And what we see here is this couple, as they talk about mountain peaks and summits and lion's dens and leopards, this man is saying to this woman, up until this point in our lives, you have been inaccessible to me. It's as if you've been up on these mountain peaks. It's as if you've been way away from me. It's as if you've been surrounded by lions and leopards. I have not had access to you as much as I've desired it, as much as I wanted to be with you. I haven't had access to you because there's been distance and barriers that we've placed up in our marriage before our wedding day. 
But now the couple says, listen, we've arrived at this place. We've arrived at this point where this woman and this man are together. They've wanted to be together. They've anticipated this moment. They've planned for this moment. And they're excited now to be together. Now, now you remember, those of you that are married, your wedding day. Now, guys, you probably remember the wedding and the reception, but I got a feeling you were really excited and anticipating everything else, right? You can shake your head. It's okay to respond. You don't have to be just real, you know, feel like we can't say anything. Don't want to smile or act like I'm paying attention because I may be embarrassed about what It's exciting, right? That was a moment in our lives we looked forward to men, right? We were anticipating and excited about that moment. I remember my wedding. I remember my reception. I remember driving out of the parking lot of the reception thinking, finally, you know, finally. We've, we've done all the things. And I, I loved my wedding and I loved my reception. But I anticipated what was to come. I was excited about that. That's normal for us. But I want to ask you a question because, again, here's what we see in, in weddings. It's always better at the beginning, right? Everything is great in the beginning of the wedding, in the beginning of the marriage, in the first year or two, usually. And then, if we're not careful, things taper off. If we're not careful, that's exactly what happened. Those of you that married decades understand that. So here's the question. Is it, as we think about the idea of anticipation and planning, is it okay to plan for intimate encounters in your marriage? That's the question I want to answer. Is it okay to plan those things? Some of you are probably thinking, wait a minute, I thought those things were supposed to be spontaneous. I thought that kind of stuff was just supposed to happen. Well, it is supposed to be spontaneous, and sometimes it does just happen. But the busier we get, the more kids we have, the more scheduled things we have to do, the work, all those things happen. Spontaneity sometimes falls by the wayside, doesn't it? And what used to be spontaneous is less spontaneous. And so I would say to you, based on what we see in this couple, and we're going to walk through this here in just a second, the idea of planning and preparation for those moments in a marriage are not only okay, but I think it's something you ought to be doing. I think you ought to have conversations with each other and literally plan for these moments together. I think you need to prepare for those kinds of things. And so I'm going to give you three. One of the things I've tried to do in this series is to be very practical. I don't want to just talk about a lot of theology and ideas that don't make any sense to anybody. What are practical things you can be doing in your marriage? And so I'm going to give you three areas in which you can prepare for physical intimacy with your spouse. Three areas in which you can prepare. The first one is you should, we have these on the screen, you should prepare your soul for physical intimacy. Now that's something a lot of people never think about, right? We understand other things about physical intimacy, but preparing our souls is not always at the top of our list. Well, think about it. Let me frame it a little bit differently for you. God created physical intimacy within a marriage for our enjoyment, for our pleasure. It's part of God's plan. And we're going to see in a minute it's central to this book. I'll, I'll show you that biblically in a few minutes. But we're saying now that this central theme of marriage, God's plan, something he gives us for enjoyment, something he wants us to do, this physical intimacy, are we saying we, we should never spend time preparing our souls and praying about that in a marriage? Have you ever thought about that? How often do we pray about the idea of physical intimacy? How often do we spend time praying together about that as a spouse? How often do we pray if we're dealing with issues, and many couples do in this area, if we're dealing with those issues, how many times do we pray that the Lord would work in our hearts, would work in our lives, would reveal in our minds and our thoughts and our hearts whatever we need to do, whatever we need to remove to make this better? We should prepare ourselves for this. This is something you ought to be praying for. Number two, 
You should prepare your mind for physical intimacy. You should prepare your mind for physical intimacy. We understand that stress and schedules and the busyness of life will hinder our ability to find joy with our spouse. And if we're not intentional in preparing our mind for these moments and getting ready for them, chances are they're never going to happen. I had the opportunity this week, my, my sister and my brother-in-law, my sister and her husband came and stayed with us and they left their two children with us for a few days. Now, what you need to know that kind of makes this story interesting is that my sister's youngest daughter, Maylee, is five years old. She's a type 1 diabetic. Now, they found out she was diabetic when she was about two. Now, you want to talk about just everybody's life and our family just doing 180 degrees, just flipping around. When that happened, that was that moment. Because a type 1 diabetic two-year-old little girl, is, it's, it's just a difficult thing. And there's all sorts of things that have to be monitored and the, the insulin and the pump that she wears and the devices she has. And, and literally, when that little pump gives her insulin, it's less than a drop, a tiny, tiny little drop of insulin in her body. And measuring that stuff out. And, and so my sister, because of that, has never been able to leave her with anybody. She's just afraid to leave her. And so for three years, her and her husband have really never been able to get away from their children for any length of time, even a date night, because they can't leave Maylee every couple hours. She's got to be checked, and she's got to be dosed with a certain amount of insulin. And so she said to us about a year ago, listen, could we kind of teach you and Amy how to do this, and then maybe sometime in the future give us a chance to get away? We we're like, of course, we'd love to help you do that. And so several months ago, they came to our house. And they showed us and trained us, and, and Maylee spent the night, and we practiced that night with Maylee. Everything went well. And it gave them the freedom this last week. They came to our house on the 4th of July. They left on Tuesday. They flew out of the country, went to the Bahamas for a little vacation, left their two children with us, came back and got them yesterday. So for the whole week, Amy and I were responsible for this five-year-old little girl. And all that means for, and, and I'm going to tell you, it gave me a, a, a very new perspective for my sister and what she goes through, and some of you that deal with that and the constant, literally 24-hour maintenance that requires. But when they got back yesterday and they came back to our house, David, my brother-in-law, said to me, you have no idea. He said, you have no idea what this meant to us to be able to get away from this stress. And, and they love their kids, of course. They're in love with their children and would do anything for them. But just to remove this from our lives for a few days and to be able to relax and kind of reconnect with one another. He said, you have no idea what that means. And, and I fear, and, and most of us are not in that situation with that kind of a pressing need. But I fear if we're not careful, the stress level and the busyness and the workplace, all the things that go into our lives will cause us, if we're not careful, to kind of lose this idea of intimacy. And we push it farther and farther away because we're more stressed and schedule is busier. And we need to prepare our minds for that. We need to find times when we can kind of set aside the stress. We can set aside the schedule. Maybe we can plan times to be together. We need to be preparing our hearts for these moments, our souls, our minds. And then number three, we need to be preparing our bodies for physical intimacy. Now, this seems like kind of a no-brainer, right? This one seems kind of easy. Get more rest, try not to be as stressed. But, but there are things we need to understand. And most of you that have been married a number of years have probably already figured this out. And even if you hadn't been married, you probably already know this. But we need to understand kind of about each other. Wives, your husbands are very visual. You, you probably have already figured that out by now. But they want to see nice things, right? That's important to them. Husbands, your wives need tenderness and patience, 
So just kind of a, a word of advice to the men, and you guys have probably already figured this out, but, but physical intimacy for, for your wife doesn't begin at physical intimacy. Did you, did you know that? It begins when you're really kind to her hours and days before. Did you know that? It's the way you treat her with tenderness. It's the way you're compassionate to her. It's the way that you meet her needs and help her around the house. All that in her mind, that prepares her body, right? Men, it doesn't take long. Women, they build up to it. It's important for us to understand that, guys. And so there's this process we go through as we prepare our souls and our minds and our bodies. And I'll just say to you, physical intimacy should be a priority. We should plan for it. We should look forward to it. It should be a central part of our lives. Now, having said that, let's continue. Look at verse 10. The man still speaking to his wife. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices, right? There's all these pleasurable things he's talking about. Verse 15, you are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon, So we've already seen, number one, anticipation of love, preparation, excitement, looking forward. That's truth number one. Now truth number two. We see with this couple an exploration of love. Anticipation, now exploration. Now this is a couple that's very much in love. A couple that's anticipated and been excited about this moment. They've been looking forward to this moment. Finally, they're together. And very simply, we just say it as it is, this man is exploring his wife's body. She's exploring his, and they both love it. Now, he uses certain phrases in here to help us understand that. He speaks about her lips, sweet like honeycomb. Her tongue, flowing with milk and honey. Her garments have sweet smells. And he he uses the phrase of wine and being drunk and this idea of being intoxicated with her. He loves the way she looks. He loves the way she smells. He loves all the things about her. And within this marriage, he wants to explore her. She wants to explore him. And there is safety in their bond together. Now, I want to answer another question because, again, I want to I try to think through the questions people are asking and the struggles people have. And so I want to answer a question as we walk through this text, and I think this text can help us answer the question that a lot of couples ask. As we think about this idea of exploring and loving one another and passion, the question sometimes arises, how much can we explore within a marriage? So kind of what are the limits within a marriage? And so I'm going to give you not specific answers to that question. Instead, I want to give you three very simple principles you can apply to that marriage to help you answer that question. They're all biblical. Principle number one is this, as you think about exploration within the marriage. Number one, does the Bible forbid it? That's the first principle. If it's forbidden in the Bible, it's forbidden in marriage, very simply. Now, there are, there are a lot of things when we think about passion and sexuality that the, 
scriptures forbid. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all those things are found in scripture that are forbidden. But I want you to notice something interesting about verse 12. It, it, it keys us in on one of these ideas. Look at verse 12 again. Pull that up for me if you would, please, Stephen. This man speaks to this woman and he refers to her as a garden. I think that's just interesting. This is poetic. She's a garden, a spring, a fountain. And we say, what what do those words mean? Why why does that word symbolize a woman? Well, I want to read what one commentator said about this. And you see this theme as you study the Song of Songs over and over again. Here's what the scholar said. In the ancient Near East... And elsewhere in the Bible, these words are highly erotic images. Both would usually represent the most intimate parts of the male and the female body. So when he refers to her as a garden locked up, it's interesting because he's thinking about all the things that he enjoys and the smells and the scents and all the flowers. He refers to her as a garden, which is very intimate. But he refers to her in the scripture not just as a garden, but as a what? A garden locked up. Now, there are two ideas that we need to understand here. The first one is the sense of before marriage. She was, she was locked up. She was inaccessible to any man before marriage. We've kind of already covered that. By the way, if you're unmarried, that's a theme you ought to understand. And you can go back and listen to some of the sermons I've already preached on that. But we see that before marriage. Now, in marriage, this is, this is important. She's still a locked garden. She's not available to anyone but her husband. You understand that? So she saved herself for her husband And now she only gives herself to her husband. And so as we think about the idea of adultery or fornication, which is basically any sex outside of marriage, all those ideas are prohibited in Scripture. So they're very simply prohibited in the marriage as well. That's the first principle. Second principle, as we think about exploration in the marriage, principle number two, it should always be between one man and one woman. Now, that's clear with this idea uh, of adultery. We've already kind of seen that. But I, but I think it, it's important to say this, even though for most people this is never really an issue. There should never be other people involved, first of all. It should always be just the husband and the wife. And if we fast forward, and again, we should always look for application in our current society. If we fast forward a couple thousand years, even though this, this didn't exist when this was written, I would say, in addition to not having other people involved, we shouldn't have pictures or maybe videos of other people involved either. I think a lot of couples fall into that trap. I think very simply the biblical principle of one man and one woman from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Old and New Testament through the book of Revelation is the picture that God gives us. That's God's plan and that's the way we ought to live. Now principle number three. After we've thought about the scripture, what does the scripture say? After we've thought about the one man, the one woman issue, principle number three, are both people okay with it? Is the wife happy with it? Is the husband happy with it? If both people are happy with it and it's not forbidden in Scripture and it just involves a man and a woman, I would say to you there's great freedom to explore within the marriage. In fact, I would would encourage you to do that. I think God has given us this gift. I think he wants us to enjoy it. I think he wants this man and this wife to be one and to find pleasure in one another. And I think it's perfectly acceptable if we follow those principles in the marriage to explore one another. Now, before I kind of move on to the next section, let me, let me just speak to parents just for a second. I think this is an important idea. The questions that we're pondering right now in Scripture, the questions that we've all asked either in our minds or to somebody else this morning, 
These very questions are questions that one day your children will be or maybe already are asking. Don't be naive to think your kids are not going to want to know these same kinds of things about sexuality and intimacy and all the things we're learning in the Scripture. They're going to want to know answers to their questions. What ought to scare you to death is where they're going to go to find those answers. Because I promise you, there's somebody out there that will answer that question for them. Probably not biblically, probably not in the way you want it answered, but somebody's going to answer that question for me. So my challenge and encouragement to you as a parent is to kind of step up, find the courage and the boldness to have these difficult conversations with your kids. Now, there's an age issue and maturity. I get all that. And you, you have to factor all that in. Uh, but for my wife and I, this is something, I didn't say this at 9.30 because my kids were in here, but this, these are conversations we've had, and Amy and I have always had those conversations together with our kids. Now, dads, I've got three daughters, by the way. That may feel a little uncomfortable, but not nearly as uncomfortable to me as some other guy explaining to her what he thinks about that. You want to talk about uncomfortable? That's uncomfortable. So I think we need to step, we need to have these hard conversations biblically. What Kids, what does the Bible say? How does the Lord want us to understand this? How can we honor the Lord with our bodies and the decisions we make? What should marriage look like? These are conversations we ought to be having with, with our children so they get the truth from us from a biblical, mature Christian understanding, not a pop culture understanding. We need to step up to the plate and do that. Now, let's continue. Verse 16 of chapter 4. So the woman is still talking, saying to the man, Awake, north wind. Come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Right? We, we kind of get the imagery there. Verse 1 of chapter 5 now. The man speaking. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. So we've had the anticipation, we've had exploration, and now number three, consummation of love. In these two verses, this is the act of consummation within their marriage. Now, I want you to see something I think is just very interesting and will help us understand the importance of what we're saying in these two verses. Remember, poetry, the way the Hebrew poetry is, is written, we understand the importance of the poem based on the structure of the poem, the parallel lines, the number of lines written. And so there's something very interesting about these two verses. Chapter 4, verse 16 along with chapter 5, verse 1, are the exact center of this book. In the original Hebrew, there are 111 lines before these two verses. There are 111 lines after these two verses. And so just from a structure standpoint, we understand that this idea of consummation within the marriage is central to this theme of this book. You understand that? It's the foundation this idea of physical intimacy is foundational to this couple. And I think from a point of application for our lives, we ask the question, how central is physical intimacy to our lives? Do we fight for it? Do we pray about it? Do we prepare for it? Do we look forward to it? Is it something we talk about and have conversation? Or have we just kind of kicked it off to the side and whenever we get a chance that takes place, but we're too busy with the rest of life? I think it's just awfully important to understand God's plan how God has designed us, 
what God wants to do in our marriages and how this idea of physical intimacy is foundational. It's really the cornerstone that this book is built upon. So I'm going to give you two practical ideas again within marriage. I wanted to be very practical in this sermon. And so I'm going to read from you. I did some research this week. And, and by the way, let me just kind of recommend something to you. This, this, uh, the ministry Focus on the Family. You're very familiar with Focus on the Family. Their website is filled with article after article after, about these ideas. All sorts of questions answered, questions you may have, struggles you may be going through, things you want to know biblically. It's all there. I would encourage you to spend some time with your spouse and maybe read through some of these articles. They're fascinating and extremely helpful and biblically based. So I'm going to read you just a couple of quotes and then kind of give you two practical helps. Here's a quote from Focus on the Family. Most, we're talking about the husband first, then the wife, then two practical things, one for the husband, one for the wife. Most husbands have a natural rhythm in their bodies that motivates them to be physical intimate, physically intimate every few days. Added stress will cause a husband to think about being with his wife more often and increase his longing for quick encounters that relieve tension. Wives usually have a natural desire to make life better for each member of the family, which can usher in new expectations with each passing year. Physical intimacy can seem like just another responsibility she must fulfill. If she doesn't, she may conclude that she is failing. The longing in her heart is for her husband to interrupt her life with a lingering, unhurried escape. The interlude is best when she knows the kids are taken care of, distractions have been addressed, and her needs are given ample attention. So based on those two quotes, I'm going to give you two very simple points of application. You may already know them, you may not, but you probably need to be reminded of them. Point number one, for the husband, and we have these on the screens, for the husband, frequency counts. It's important. Most men evaluate the quality of intimacy by the frequency of the encounters. Most men feel closer to their wives when she gives herself to him regularly. And life is better for most men when physical intimacy happens on a regular basis, right? We, we, we kind of get that. But wives, we need to understand that about our husbands. For the wife, friendship counts. Most women tend to evaluate the quality of intimacy based on the strength and sensitivity of the friendship that the couple enjoys, right? So we said this just a few minutes ago, but physical intimacy for the woman doesn't begin at the point of physical intimacy. It begins when that friendship and that relationship is fostered, all those times talking and the tenderness and the display of love, men, and taking care of things around the house. And I, I love what Mr. R.T. said. I don't know if you picked up on that, but he talked about providing for her needs he talked about doing the work around the house that she can no longer do. He talked about cooking meals for her. This is the man who's taken care of his wife, by the way, for a long time, been very faithful in doing it, but he gets it. He gets the importance of that tenderness and that friendship and, and, and that love within the marriage bond. And so we see kind of, kind of very different needs from the man and the woman, but we understand when they understand those needs, based on the truth of God's word, and they apply them to their lives, I want you to see what happens, because this is interesting to me. So just track along, right? We've had anticipation, the excitement, the, the planning, the preparation. We've had the exploration, 
They enjoy each other, want to be together. Now we've seen the consummation. Notice where these three things, where these steps lead us in chapter 5, verse 1. Look again. Bring it up on the screen for me. I've come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. So anticipation, exploration, consummation, and then finally, number four, when these things happen, there is affirmation of love. There is affirmation of love of love. Pull that verse up one more time. There's something very interesting about it. You probably didn't notice the first time. He uses the word my, M-Y, nine times in one verse. Look at it. My garden, my sister, my spouse, my myrrh, my spice, my honeycomb, my honey, my wine, my milk, right? There's this sense that no longer are these two separate people. Two have become one, and there's great affirmation in that there's great joy in that there's great comfort in that he's enjoying everything about her she's enjoying everything about him this couple is very satisfied they are at peace with one another there's great joy so I would submit to you biblically that when we follow the steps that the Lord has laid out for us When we trust him, when we seek him, when we look to his word and study his word and take these sorts of truths and apply them to our lives, we begin to understand something that that, that most people miss. We understand that God has not only got a plan for our marriage, but God wants us to experience this passion and this joy and this intimacy. He wants us to follow his truth And live this life he's called us to live so that other people can see that there still can be joy in marriage. There still can be passion in marriage. There still can be intimacy in marriage. We can really love each other in the name of Christ and still be happy. And when the world sees that, you'll stick out. You'll be like a city upon a hill because the vast number of marriages are not good. The vast number of marriages don't understand this idea of close physical intimacy. The vast number of marriages don't find joy. And so I would just encourage you, even if you're in a place of struggle, even if you're not quite sure this is possible, just to trust the Lord, just to look to his word, to look to his design, follow and trust him in all things. Let him use you to create this beautiful picture within your marriage of Christ and his church. And when you do that, we've said it every week, people notice and ultimately the Lord receives glory. That's the kind of marriage we ought to strive to have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. Lord, for the the issues that come up in this book, Father, for for the things that we're learning. And I know sometimes it can seem a little uncomfortable. But, Father, it's a very real challenge that a lot of couples face. And, and, And I just pray, Father, as we think about marriage, we think about our marriage, that we would trust you enough to learn about marriage through your word, through what you say, through your truth, that we would take that truth, Father, and apply it to our lives. And so I pray right now for any couple in here right now that's struggling is unsure about joy in marriage. Father, just, just fill their hearts again with this hope, with this picture of what a close, intimate marriage can be. And I pray, Father, that, it, that as they seek you and trust you, that you would do great things 
you would receive honor and glory in everything we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunities we always do. The altar's always open. Maybe you want to come pray about an issue in your life. Maybe you need to pray about somebody else and, and something they're walking through. But this is your time. You respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.